Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Big Show. So glad you're here. Uh, we have a big hour coming your way. We're going to be discussing everything breaking, including a couple of things on the on the uh, agenda for the president uh, or the White House. It's kind of interesting. The Secretary of State will be delivering remarks at the Alliance for Afghan Women's Economic Resilience Summit. Oh, yeah. First thing you should say is, Mr. Secretary, uh, my advice to you is apologize because Afghan women have no rights. And then the Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee will have a hearing on Yemen and the Red Sea security. Not good. There is no security. Do you know what they did yesterday, the Houthi rebels over in Yemen? They cut the lines on the seafloor, which cut power to various areas of Europe. So that's how devious uh, these tribesmen are. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The case seems to be unraveling for Willis and Wade. Uh, In their testimony, there was a great deal of contradiction, uh, particularly for Mr. Wade. Some of his earlier sworn statements uh, appear to be irreconcilable with with the facts that he later testified to. No joke. Trump on trial. First, A.G. Letitia James taunts President Trump on, on his fines as every day goes by as he tries to get... $400 400-plus million dollars to pay the ridiculous penalty. And guess who is backing the president? Jeb Bush. Meanwhile, Georgia DA Fannie Willis, a disgrace, fights to keep the state case in her hands and her ex-boyfriend in charge. The hearing continues today while Ivan Bragg prosecutors ask for a gag order in New York. Number two. Those small numbers that are committing crimes... We need to modify the the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. You think? Finally, the mayor of New York City, a blue, if not, and if nothing else is blue, city in America, saying sanctuary city is not a good idea. Joe Biden has done the impossible, by the way. He has made the border war more popular. In fact, majority of the country, for the first time in 15 years, says they are demanding it. We all seem in the crosshairs of criminals. Biden's policies have allowed to come into the country as more and more Americans are shot, assaulted and killed by the illegals he let in. Number one. By voting uncommitted, you get to, you know, cancel Joe Biden. I guess like if you vote uncommitted, they'll realize how much of an impact we're making. I was extremely excited that this was kind of a chance to bring down Biden. 2024, Michigan Day is today. Winner of the state in November is likely the next president. So far, Trump is in front. And Biden is about to get a slap from his own party base. Arab Americans, union workers, Muslim Americans, Palestinians, plus Nikki Haley fights on using verbal assaults hijacked from Chris Christie, Liz Cheney, and the DNC, which I find kind of strange. You know I'm a, a, a Governor Haley fan. Now, I don't care um, what, what how this ends. I'm impressed with her. Her background always was. But I just wonder what she's doing now. If she was going to attack like this, she would not have had the success she's had to this point, would not have been a survivor, because Liz Cheney would have got less than 1% of the Republican primary. And we know that Nikki Haley, by saying, I work for the president, he's a friend of mine, but I think this is my time, that got her the top spot. That got her in double figures. That got her uh, even with Ron DeSantis. That kept her alive. Uh, through New Hampshire and now South Carolina. But now the vicious attacks, talking about the president being too old, law can't, can't uh, function off a prompter, not the same guy, 
not going to win, can't beat Joe Biden. I'm pretty sure we're not all the same that we were a couple of years ago. But he's pretty much the same guy. You can go for an hour and a half. You might have a couple of gaps or things you want to take back. But that's not the problem with uh, Donald Trump. And we all know it. And what the Democrats pointed out, Governor, if you want to be eventually the nominee, when you alienate President Trump, you're alienating the people that voted for him. You cannot win ever in 2028, barring something unforeseeable, if you can't win over past Trump voters. I thought that was a given. Meanwhile, the president of the United States was in New York City yesterday, and he uh, had an easy interview with Seth Meyers celebrating 10 years of a show nobody watches. Literally, nobody watches. We do better in the mornings than they do on late-night television. Can you believe we're saying this? And he uh, foregoes The Tonight Show to do Seth Meyers' show, I guess to celebrate Seth Meyers' 10-year anniversary. But listen to President Biden's tact. He's going after Trump on age. Cut 14. This isn't a gotcha show, but I do want to ask about it that says you are currently 81 years old. Who the hell told you that? Yeah. That's classified. That's classified. All jokes aside, according to recent polling, this is a real concern for American voters. How do you address that concern going forward as you come up to the 2024 election? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you got to take a look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am, but he can't even remember his wife's name. Yeah. And, uh... So I guess there was a gaffe where he had Mercedes slapped there at, at uh, CPAC. And he said Mercedes instead of Melania. Uh, really, Mr. President? Do you really want to bring up forgetting names, calling on dead people and trying to salute them, telling people in wheelchairs to stand up, not knowing how to leave a stage? It's an interesting tack to go after President Trump on that. I Most of the polls show that dog's not going to hunt. And what I think is so ridiculous is he loves his, he loves ice cream, like, as if that's rare. You know, there was a thing where... George Bush, 41, hated broccoli. All right, it's kind of unique. Be a president of the United States, hated broccoli. Kind of fun. But everybody, you know, likes ice cream. This guy continues to foment that. I like ice cream. Talks about ice cream as if it humanizes him. Yesterday, he gets a question from the press while getting ice cream. And with an ice cream in his hand, licking the cone, says this about something as consequential as Hamas and Israel and a ceasefire. Cut 16. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. Look, we'll see what happens. But Hamas just came out now. I just saw it in the New York Times. Live update. Hamas says, we have not heard anything about a proposal. I hadn't had an update in a week. Whatever you think of the terrorist organization, that's something that you, there's no reason for them to not say that uh, and have that not be true. It's not their advantage. All they have to say is it's bad or I'm thinking about it or I read it. They go, no, we haven't gotten anything. And Prime Minister Netanyahu told me on Fox and Friends yesterday, I said, the word is you, uh, the contours have the, on the deal have been, have been agreed upon. And he said, really? I didn't hear anything about that. So with a cone in your hand, you answer that question from the press. What you said is, give me a second. You turn around. I think everyone should know this, and he's been doing this for 40 years. You put the cone down. You hand it to a staffer. You walk over to the press, and you say, okay, give me a couple of your questions about the ceasefire. You look him in the eye. 
ceasefire is extremely consequential. I'm getting optimistic thoughts. We still got both sides got to weigh in yet, but there's some things there that will make me believe that we could have a deal as soon as Monday. Instead of that being the thing that's all around the country, around the world, even Jake Tapper brought up, really? That's the answer you give with an ice cream cone in your hand? You know, the other major story is Donald Trump at the trials. This Letitia James, you have to see her. I think it's her Twitter, her ex. She's putting on a file how much interest Donald Trump owes on the fines that she got okayed by a judge she's uh, obviously in cahoots with in New York City. As he files for an appeal, as he has a month, 30 days to get his $450 million bond or something close, she puts a little tw- uh, Twitter account up how much he owes. Is that professional at all and detrimental to the nth degree by the definition? If you're the president saying this is a pure political witch hunt and this woman is on camera saying my goal before she got the job is to go get Donald Trump, not for anything to get him. And then his main appeal is this is all politics. And she's taunting him on Twitter saying how much he owes. Are you crazy while showing up every day while this this city is overrun with crime, taking her shoes off and sitting in the front row? This is only going to help the appeal. But what idiots are running this city? It's incredible to me. So now this other thing that goes on with the state case. So what's the state case in Georgia? Why do we care? What's interesting in the state case over the other four is if the president continues to hold on to this lead and becomes president, he can't pardon himself from a state case. Okay, fine. So as this Fannie Willis brings the case, it turns out Nathan Wade and she had a, had a, uh, were having a relationship. So? Well, they made Nathan Wade, the guy she's having a relationship with, who's no more for wills and uh, and car accidents. He's heading up the prosecution, getting this huge contract of something like $600,000. And it turns out they go on multiple vacations together. So they go and testify. So listen, if you're using court money and you put somebody in charge of a case that's your boyfriend, how is that ethical? On what grounds is that ethical in your county, Fulton County, or any county across the country? And their comeback is, oh, yeah, we broke up long ago. We've seen each other just for a brief period of time. Nothing to do with he's most qualified for the case. When nothing in his background makes him qualified for the case. Oh, yeah, we went on vacations together, but I paid cash. Now, why am I bringing this all up today? Because today she's going to be back in court as Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade. And what's going to be significant about their fate in this case is if um, they're pulled off the case, the whole case could fall apart. My hope is... It absolutely does. It's on January 6th, and I'm saying that she went out and told people to go out and find the votes. And uh, whatever you think of it, that's their case. So in the case, uh, Fannie Willis today has found out that the this is devastating. Nathan Wade's business partner, who was his divorce attorney, lot the law firm, basically has all these texts that show the relationship was going on during the prosecution right through and shows – in one of the texts, apparently, that he says, I cannot believe you put this trip on a, a company Amex account. Really? So they worked hard to make sure this wasn't in on, on the record. So the judge says, OK, come behind closed doors. I want to hear what's going on before I decide whether this should be in testimony. So they meet for an hour and 20 minutes and they said, this guy, uh, yeah, this is going to go on the record. Uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to matter. You're going to have to testify. Uh, and forget about attorney common privilege, when this relationship started, and what this money was used for, and was there ever any reimbursement? Here's Jonathan Turley, Cut 17. 
the case seems to be unraveling for Willis and Wade. Uh, in their testimony, there was a great deal of contradiction, uh, particularly for Mr. Wade. Some of his earlier sworn statements uh, appear to be irreconcilable with, with the facts that he later testified to. That's a nice way of saying that people believe he may have lied. She also has a roommate that says the relationship was going on since 2019. So they lied under oath. Or his business partner has lied under oath and is her best friend lied under oath. If I'm the judge, not only I don't have to make it to you, there's enough uh, smoke here that I say this is a fire. You're off the case and then let somebody else ramp up this case and then think about Sully. This case is knowing this is a former president of the United States and she's putting her boyfriend on to prosecute with no experience. This is a joke. But what was most telling for me is you can no longer say the White House is not involved because he met with White House counsel in Athens, Georgia. How do I know that? Because Nathan Wade invoiced to be repaid for the money on travel, for the the time in which he took in the meetings with the White House. There's also a special counsel person uh, put with the Alvin Bragg's office from the White House counsel. And Alvin Bragg is the first to bring the criminal case here in New York. Don't tell me. The White House is not involved in prosecuting what is likely to be their November opponent. I'm Brian Kilmeade. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Then it looks like the president of the United States and the former president of the United States are going to the border on the same day. I'm going to talk to the guy. They're both going to Texas. In Texas now, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He ran for governor of Texas. What does he think the both will see when they go down there? Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, for President Biden to say that he knows the border well is not true. Out of his multi-decade career in Washington, D.C., he's been to the border one time as president. Then he went to El Paso, where they sanitized the scene, essentially, cleared out all the illegal immigrants so he didn't actually see what was happening at the border. Now that this is a major election issue for voters across the board, he's now decided to go down and try to play this game with Donald Trump, who has a much higher approval rating when it comes to dealing with this issue. The problem for the White House is that they have repeatedly downplayed the national security implications of this problem, the fact that terrorists have come across the border, and they've also downplayed significantly the risk of criminality. And that is... Katie Pavlich, yesterday on Special Report, talking about the dueling visits from the border. What I think is also telling is where Joe Biden's going. He's going to Brownsville. Do you know how many crossers are going through Brownsville right now? I'm not saying it's not an issue, but 150, according to Bill Malusian. Do you know how many thousands are going to Eagle Pass? Do you know how much controversy, controversial it is for the, the governor of Texas to start building that wall, kicking out the Border Patrol in a friendly way? And putting their people on the line to let National Guard stop people from crossing, putting up the razor wire, putting up their own mini wall. If you really want to solve a problem, Mr. President, why don't you go sit down with the governor of Texas and say, what is exactly the problem? 
Let me go see the topography. Let me go see the geography. Let me go see the soft-sided facilities, the IG, the NGOs. Let me see exactly what you're talking about. Let me go to San Diego with Gavin Newsom and all my gel, and he can sit there and say, you know, what's what are these buses? Yeah, they're letting out. Where are they going? They're free. What do you mean they're free? They're passing through. We have nowhere to put them. So they've gave career. They said they, uh, they're claiming asylum status, saying they fear for their life, so they get to be free. Really? That's how you solve a problem. What he's going to do is go there, call a press conference in front of a piece of the wall, and he's going to say, I have a bipartisan bill out there that he's going to claim that he did. I found out for a fact that a White House representative at those meetings said they did nothing but hurt the process, found that out for a fact. Hindered everything, tried to put stumbling blocks along the way. They get the bipartisan deal. Famously, the Senate doesn't take it up. The House doesn't see it. So now the president says, I got an issue. They they punted on the bipartisan bill. So therefore, Republicans don't want to get anything done. And he's going to hold a press conference. And then he's going to say, I'm forced to take executive action. And I'm going to tell you, like you're going to say, wait a second. You already told me I can't solve this problem with executive action. I need legislation. How can you do both? Mr. President, I can tell you this, 71% of the country disapprove of the way you're handling the border. And this is the stunning thing. Monmouth did a poll that said, what do you think of putting up the wall? For the first time in 10 years, 53% of the country said they favor finishing construction on the border wall because of the crossings. Only 46% oppose. 60% identify illegal immigration as very serious. You know how diverse and how, how we disagree on so much in this country. Do you know how hard it is to get 60% on anything, let alone 71% on this? And we also have the president on record as a candidate saying, come one, come all. Surge the border, come in. That's who we are. Yeah, that's who we are. That's who you are. It's not really helping all of us. And what I love about this, too, and this is what gives me optimism, things are going to get fixed. And here's why I believe things are going to get fixed. Because things get so bad, there's really no debate about it. If someone walks up to you and said, what is the big deal about the border? Really? Big deal about the border. Let me show you. I got some video on my phone. What's the big deal about crime in New York City? Really? Look at these numbers. What do you think they do when they get here? Really? Look at this beat down of two cops. And when things get so flagrant, no longer gray, when they get so black and white, that's when things get fixed and people can run on that. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Those small numbers that are committing crimes, we need to modify the uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city, and you should be you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Right now, we don't have the authority to do so. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're privileged to have with us in studio Carl Rove. Uh, Carl Rove, I don't think I need to tell our audience your resume. Great to see you in person, Mr. Texas. Yes, I was trying to escape the building, and your people ran me down, threw right. me against a wall, and made me come up here. Well, you have to work on your foot speed. 
Yeah. We should not be able to catch you. If you were in your prime, we well, never would have yeah, caught you. I was going a different – you know, I thought I was going a secret way to get out. But no, that, that, out of the building, you had people at all the exits. So a couple of things are going on. Did you ever think in the big picture that we'd be talking about a Democratic president who recognizes, especially of late, who recognizes the problem at the border where the numbers are overwhelming? 71 percent disapprove of President Biden's handling of the border. 53 percent of the country in the Monmouth poll said finish the wall. Right. And now he's going down there Thursday yeah. saying he had no idea President Trump was going to be there Thursday, too. Yeah. Carl, put that in perspective. Well, uh, a day late and a dollar short, as they say, uh, this is the administration has fumbled this. They spent three years welcoming people to come across the border. And now he's going to go down for a second visit to the border, a symbolic visit. And uh, what's interesting to me is there are, there are like I think it's nine regions, nine, nine uh, places along the border, the, the districts, the various, you know, El Paso, Tucson, San Diego, so forth. The Rio Grande Valley is like number five on the list. Only about 150 coming through a day. Well, and 120,000 thus far this year, which is less than half of what has come through in like uh, San Diego. And the worst is Tucson. Right. And and think about this. The President Trump is going to be in Eagle Pass. Eagle Pass del Rio is, a, is one of these sectors on the border. Uh, this is a place that's got like 70,000 uh, people live in that border region. And there have been like 150,000 people who've come across the border there. 76,000 people have come across the border in the lower area of Grand Valley where 1.4 million people live. So just think about the ability of a, of a community that large. Sure, it's a burden to accept 76,000 people. Think about a part of the region, part of the border region, where more people are coming across by a factor of nearly three than live in that region. So I want you to hear what he said yesterday in between and during his appearance with Seth Myers. Will you meet with migrants while you're there, Mr. President? Well, I'm not going to announce ahead of time. Secret Service doesn't like me announcing exactly what So he wouldn't admit and wouldn't guarantee that he would meet with migrants when he's there. And then he went on to say this. Why do you order now, Mr. President? You're going on Thursday. I've been planning to go Thursday. What I didn't know is uh, my good friend apparently is gone. Yeah, so so he didn't. He says I didn't know that Trump was going to be there. Uh, he's planning on going to the border, uh, and he screamed it out with an ice cream in his hand, talking about that. And it got worse from there. But first off, your reaction to the fact that he's going to go down there. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to give a speech and say the bipartisan deal the Republicans punted on shows that they don't want a solution. Yeah. Well, first of all, the the, the staging of the ice cream uh, press briefing is like completely stupid. Fire that advanced guy. And also, Mr. President, you just showed your age again because any other politician would have said, wait a minute, hold on just a second, Get, gotten rid of the ice cream cone and gone and talked to the press if you want to talk to the press. And instead he looked like a, you know, uh, you know what he is, an, a really old guy who's out for an ice cream cone with the grandkids. I mean, it's like bad. But is it your sense he's uncoachable? Because yes. you know what it's like. Well, I mean, he's sometimes both... you have a boss that's so like it's so angry all the time, yeah. or yeah. so domineering. You're afraid to tell him. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, this I think is one of the big problems. You put your finger on it. Think about all the people around him. They were people who've been with him when he was vice president, and they were with him when he was a senator. When you're a senator, you're not used to telling the boss, "Hey, I, you know, Mr. President, with all due respect, you know, you're wrong." You're just not used to that. The job is the senator sits down with his colleagues, makes a decision how he's going to vote, and votes. And your job is to explain it to the people back home and be the cushion around him to help him make a decision. But 
when you're a president of the United States, you want to be surrounded by people who say, you're not looking so pretty. And there, he is not surrounded by people who can do that with him. So he goes in and does the ice cream cone thing. And he, and he, uh, he, 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 he does the thing like, well, I'm angry. Let me go give the late night news conference that, that is an utter and unmitigated disaster. But look, the, the border thing, I, I have a minor disagreement here. I, the Senate deal was not H.R. 2. H.R. 2 was the bill passed by the House Republicans that's got a lot of good stuff in it. But it couldn't pass the Senate because you need 60 votes and you got a Democratic Senate. If I were the Republicans, I would have taken the Senate bipartisan bill and then had Trump come out, the president come out and say, too late, a dollar short, a day late and a dollar short, and – you know, you didn't do what we needed to do. You do good steps. Don't get me wrong. But here are four things I'm going to do. Remain in Mexico, blah, 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 blah. So he could be on the offense. He could be saying, I've got a vision for the future of our country that involves really securing the border. And here are the things that are going to do. Right now, we're in an argument where Biden says, give me the money. I want more border patrol. I want more uh, adjudication. I want more crackdown on fentanyl. It was all in the bill. You, you voted no. So he's got the, uh, the Republicans a little bit on the back foot. The Republicans should have taken the deal that included things that Democrats hated and but would give 60 votes in the Senate and then say not enough. And when I'm president, here are the things I'm going to do, because, look, there are, are you saying the Senate should have voted on it and the Republicans should have yeah, passed out of the Senate yeah. and get to the House? Yeah, get it to the House and have the House approve it. But but get put the put President Trump on the offense rather than the defense. But pass it. Pass it because it had some good stuff in it. Was it sufficient? Was it H.R. 2? No. But when you got a Democrat Senate and a Democratic president, you take the progress you can get and highlight what else needs to be done. And then you're on the offense. You're, you're out there saying there are things that need to be done that they wouldn't do, that I will do, and you're on the offense. But do you feel as though the president now has cover in the most egregious outside Afghanistan, and you could say, uh, and other things, outside of Afghanistan, does he give him cover on his biggest liability uh, over the last three and a half years you, on Biden, it gives him some. It's be, it, it, again, he's on the offense. He's saying, I wanted more money for Border Patrol agents. I wanted more technology. I wanted more barriers. I wanted this. I wanted that. I wanted to crack down on fentanyl. It gives him a chance to be on offense. You always in, a, in, in, a, in an election, particularly a race for the presidency, you want to be on the offense and keep your opponent playing to your game, not his game. Right. I think also. What what got me, and I was in touch with Senator Langford, too. I think he's a great guy, by the way. Wonderful guy. Um, solid as a day he's conservative, by the way. Right. Solid as a day is and, long. And he was telling me, too, that the White House was in there almost like putting a, pull it, um, putting sand in the gears the yeah. whole time. Oh, sure. And these were no-name people showing up just, just trying to create havoc. Yeah. And re- he deserves no credit for this bill. Yeah, no, no, not at all. And look, you, you know who else would tell you that? The Democrats who are saying we're, we desperately need to do something about this issue because it is a problem for our country. The White House looks at this as it's a problem for the president's political agenda. It's not a problem for the country. And so, you know, that's why Murphy and these others were negotiating with Langford, because they're awakening to the fact it's affecting their communities. Every community is now a border community. So Speaker Ryan, first year of Trump's administration, actually was kind enough to call me up. And he says, listen, we're about to come out with a budget. And it's only $1.4 billion for the wall. And it's going to be people are going to be outraged. by it. But let me just tell you, uh, it is their it is their firewall. They do not want to give Trump this wall. So if I get $1.4 billion this time and we get 50 or 100 miles, we're going to go back. for. I just, he was kind enough to call me ahead of time. And now we're at a point, and, and right now I think at that point 35% of the public thinks we needed a wall. Now it's now at 53% of the country right. believe we need a wall. Carl, you have a great mind for this. How, how bad are things 
And how obvious is it to the American people that 53 percent, many of which would never vote for Donald Trump, said, yeah, oh, absolutely, we need it. Absolutely. No, look, look this, this, we're seeing this. I mean, this poor girl in, in Georgia killed, murdered, blunt trauma to the head by an illegal. Uh, the, 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 the people beating up New York cops, a lack of illegal. 15-year-old, uh, they get caught shoplifting, start shooting at everybody, yeah. hits a Brazilian, in jail, and they're trying to bail them out. Yeah, and and the American people are a, you know, we're a generous, welcoming people. We, we, all of us have a, a an immigrant not too far back, but they came here legally by and large. These people are coming illegally, and they are not doing, uh, you know, they're, they're acting badly, and 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 look, even if they're acting well, you know, even if they're desperate people trying to get a job, it's a burden on our society. I love it. The mayor of Chicago has had 18,000 people show up in a, in a community that's got two and a half million people, I think, live in Chicago and five million plus live in the greater Chicago area. And he's complaining about 18,000 people dumped in his community. Think about El, Eagle Pass and Del Rio. There are only 70,000 people there. And they've got they've had more than that dumped in twice as many people dumped in their community thus far in this fiscal year. And we have 177,000 in New York City. Yeah. And by the way, that guy now has 20 percent approval rating. And if I told you, too, in, in 2018, hey, uh, Carl, I, got, I need a way to get that wall built and I need sanctuary cities abolished, you'd say to me, uh, Brian, I'm sorry, but the American uh, U.S. public is not there. You're never going to change any minds. But now, all of a sudden, I want you to hear the mayor of New York City yesterday. Cut one. Those small numbers that are committing crimes... We need to modify the, uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right yeah. to live in this city, and you should, be, you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Right now, we don't have the authority to do so. So uh, Mayor Adams yesterday says the numbers that we're seeing now, we should give ICE the ability to arrest people who have committed violent crimes in the city and deport them. Okay, not exactly getting rid of all of sanctuary city status. You let a guy, ICE has got to do their thing. They got to be able to go across the country and do their thing, not yeah. just respond to the NYPD. Right. They got to go to the jails and say, hey, guys, I don't know if you yeah. know who you have, but this guy is a, a, is a, a gangster from Venezuela. Yeah. Now, remember how many cities under President Obama and now under President Biden say, we are not going to cooperate with ICE. I know. We're not going to we're going to if we let somebody it is the law of the United States that when you let an illegal alien out of jail after serving their term, you're supposed to notify ICE. And and, and, and so many locales in America say we're not going to abide by that. So, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost with the policies made by these big cities, New York sanctuary city. Let's be let's be morally, you know, we're going to be morally superior to everybody else, particularly those ruffians along the border. We're going to invite anybody, anybody. We're a sanctuary city. And get well, guess what? You got what a sanctuary city represents, which is inviting right. a group of lawless people into your society. All right. We come back. Uh, today's Michigan Day. Uh, they started they started voting a couple hours ago. And why I believe, and I think Carl backs me up on this, is more at stake for President Biden than it is actually for Donald Trump. It's going to be a lot more intriguing. I'll explain when we return. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, 
the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start? Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. Well, uh, number one, the president of the United States, I guess, has information he wants to share with the press while licking an ice cream cone. Even Jake Tapper pointed out this was totally inappropriate to talk about a ceasefire possibility, a hostage release in an ice cream shop and an arbitrary question shouted from afar, barely, barely discernible about a possible hostage swap and a ceasefire in the most uh, volatile place in the world. Carl Rove still with us. Carl. The optics look te- – people can't hear it on the radio. can't see it on the radio. But obviously, sitting with an ice cream cone in his hand. What, are you telling me it doesn't build confidence in the commander-in-chief? That's what I'm telling you. Are you suggesting it causes people to say, what in the heck is going on here? By the way, Netanyahu told me on Fox and Friends, don't even – can't even agree that the contours of the deal is done. Hamas, before I came on the air, just released. We have heard no update in two weeks. So whatever he has, he hasn't gotten either yeah. one of those sides. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when it comes to these kind of things, you want to lower expectations and over-deliver, and he's doing just the opposite, raising expectations and in all likelihood under-delivering. So in Michigan, I'm afraid that he's going to sacrifice the Israelis for his Michigan results, and now he's got non-committed, uh, uncommitted movement in Michigan to show up by the thousands and show that they don't believe in Joe Biden because of support for Israel. And this is the Arab-Muslim Arab Muslim and Palestinian community in places like Dearborn. Your reaction? Uh, I have a slightly different view. Uh, I think it is a problem for him, a big problem for him. But I, I, I think one of the things that's unshakable about him is his devotion to Israel, at least from a psychological era. I'm not talking tactically. I'm, you know, he. But this visit that he made many years ago to Israel and his visit with Golda Meir, he is a committed supporter of Israel. Now, Translate that into policy, and it doesn't exactly translate well. But I, I suspect that he's just trying to get past the Michigan primary and hoping that somehow or another they've let enough air out of the balloon uh, so that they're not embarrassed. But I think they will be embarrassed. And Michigan is in play this fall. The question is going to be, will Arab Americans and Palestinian Americans who are upset about the U.S. Uh, uh, policy on Israel – Vote for a Republican or just simply stay home? And in my sense, they'll probably stay home. Well, I mean, President Trump is smart to stay quiet because he's more pro-Israel than Joe Biden is. Right. Absolutely. Uh, So he's smart to stay quiet. But the other thing you could do, and Ro Kahana says he was was stunned by the level of anti-Biden sentiment when he went to Michigan. Can I factor in the union vote, too, and this push for electric cars? Yeah. Do you think it's going to be a significant vote for Trump? Because he's up by three or four there. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll see. But you, I know you, what put your, you, you put your finger on an interesting thing. People don't understand this. The, the the auto unions are not so excited about electronic vehicles because it takes fewer people to make them. They're generally made in non-union plants. Uh, they're 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 subsidized by taxpayer dollars, unlike pickup trucks and things that make the car companies money. So I think they're sitting there saying we're getting screwed by this and. Uh, as a result, I think they're going to be more up for grabs than they have traditionally been. But Michigan is, you know, critical, uh, one of the critical battleground states, and, and and nothing there is making it less of a battleground state from the perspective of Joe Biden. Nikki Haley's going to go through Super Tuesday, not committed after, didn't say no. Right, right. Your feeling about her candidacy, what's left? Well, if she, you were consulting her. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go down that road because that's that's this is a deeply personal decision to sit, to stay in or or get out. 
But I do think this. I think that the 40 percent of the people in Iowa who – excuse me, the 49 percent of the people in Iowa who voted in the Republican caucuses for somebody other than Donald Trump and the 40 percent who in, uh, in South Carolina who voted for somebody other than Donald Trump, he's the incumbent. He's like the incumbent president. He is the leader of the Republican Party. And if 40 percent of the people, even if it's South Carolina and it's her home state, you better worry about it. Forty nine percent in Iowa, uh, 40, uh, 44 percent, I believe it was, in New Hampshire. There's a big chunk of the Republican Party out there that's willing to vote for somebody that they think is you know, their kind of person, but realistically doesn't have much of a chance of winning. Do you think he is he's stronger than he is was in 2016? And do you think he's stronger than he was in 2020? Uh, I think he's stronger than he was in 2016 by a lot. And I think he is less strong inside the party than he was in 2020. There are people sending him a message, which is be a uniter. Don't don't go out there. And, you know, think of it. He, he says they'll all bend the knee to me. This is not Game of Thrones. This is American democracy. This is where you got to go out and say, I want and need your support, and I'm going to respect you. And right now, they're not feeling that. Call Rove, Bob. I'm feeling it very fortunate that you came in for a half hour. I was, Thanks for the quality time. Yeah, I was kidnapped by your staff. You had no choice. I had no choice. It was it. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they threatened me. With- From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, home of a lot of Venezuelan gangsters. As you know, uh, the New York uh, Times Square is always packed and guns are always blazing. And I wish I was exaggerating. It is indeed the case. We got a whole 170,000 illegal immigrants in our city to the point where we have in this city a mayor, a Democrat, who says, time to bring back ICE. Who ever thought I'd be saying that? And being accurate about it, let alone what's happening in the town halls in Chicago. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn's going to be here. We'll do simulcast with the great Stuart Varney on FBN. Doug Collins in studio. If you're smart enough to be watching the show. Also, if you have the app, go to the bottom. It says watch. Hit watch. You can see the TV network, FBN. You can also see us as well as seeing us on Fox Nation. And every day you can listen on the app. Uh, and you could uh, go to BrianKillMe.com and order us on podcast. Before we get to Congressman Collins, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The case seems to be unraveling for Willis and Wade. Uh, in their testimony, there was a great deal of contradiction, uh, particularly for Mr. Wade. Some of his earlier sworn statements uh, appear to be irreconcilable with, with the facts that he later testified to. And that's why we're moving forward with the best soap opera unscripted on television this afternoon. We're going to see more from Fulton County. As the relationship turns, we will find out what's going to happen with the Georgia State case and maybe overall. As you know, Congressman Collins is not uh, just a congressman. He is also a lawyer. We'll discuss that and hear the latest on that, along with Letitia James taunting President Trump, backing up Trump's Trump's case and his appeal that says this is all politics. Number two. Those small numbers that are committing crimes... We need to modify the uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. You know, that wasn't a quote from me. He wasn't reading some uh, from Rudy Giuliani. That was Eric Adams saying he's seen enough. Biden has done the impossible. He has now made the border wall popular for the first time in 10 years. In fact, the majority of the country wanted built really since the first time since Donald Trump came on the scene. We all seem to be in the crosshairs now as criminals run rampant in major cities because of Joe Biden's broken border. And I think that's beyond dispute. 
number one. By voting uncommitted, you get to, you know, cancel Joe Biden. I guess, like, if you vote uncommitted, they'll realize how much of an impact we're making. I was extremely excited that this was kind of a chance to bring down Biden. 2024, Michigan Day is today. Winner of the state in November is likely the next president. So far, Trump is in front, and Joe Biden's getting his comeuppance, at least in the primary. Arab Americans, Palestinian Americans, Muslim Americans, and union workers all have jumped off the Biden train, and Nikki Haley fights on. Congressman Collins, welcome back. Glad to be here with you always, Brian. First off, are you surprised Nikki Haley's still in? Yes. Why? She has no shot. I mean, here's the deal. At this point in time, I got no problem with anybody running a campaign. And if she wants to run, fine. Talk about her plans. Talk about being an alternative. Talk about all this. But what we've seen since really New Hampshire is she has turned into basically a, in, in all fairness, a Democrat talking point. She will be the face of the attacks on Donald Trump. Governor in, Newsom has said that. She's yeah. the best surrogate. She is. Because what's going to happen is you don't have to put uh, Joe Biden up saying You don't have to put Gavin Newsom up saying it. They're going to run 30-second ads in, in the fall against senators, governor, Republican governors, and the president, uh, Trump, in the fall race. And it's going to be her words, not theirs. Uh, I know you're a Georgia guy, mm-hmm. but what kind of percentage? I mean, she walked with 40 percent out in South Carolina, which is two-term governor. She had uh, did pretty well in New Hampshire, too. So what do you think she walks out with? Right now, I mean, actually, it's 77-18. Yeah. Look, I, here's the thing. 40 percent in South Carolina is, is not a victory. It's a defeat. Okay, let's just be frank. A 40%, there, there's going to be 40%, but I will also carry it to November. Those 40%, I would venture to roughly say 38% or even 39% of that 40, because you got 39%, 38% of that will vote for Donald Trump. So it's not it's not 40% that are never going to vote for Donald Trump. It was like, hey, I like Nikki. She's been here. She's been a governor. and that, But there was only two people on the ballot. And it's really rare, especially in a or primary on either party, for it not to be 20 points is about as max as you get. That's a blowout. So, so this is one theory, but you're the expert. My theory is that Nikki Haley says, I'm going to be around 2028. Kind of likes it. She likes campaigning. Mm-hmm. She does have people who support her. Nobody doubts the talent. Sometimes you see people that stick around. You go, what the heck? She's got talent experience, having said that. I think that she, her hunch is that the Trump movement stops with Trump. And Trump, win or lose, in 2024 is done, mm-hmm. right? So does she think, do you believe that the Trump movement stops like the Tea Party stops if there's no Trump? I think it'll be different, but I think she's on a different calculation. I don't think she's calculating 2028 that much. You think my theories are off? No, I think it's okay. I think, yeah, there may be a 2028 calculation there. But I think it's also, though, she's right now, if that is her calculation, she would have done a DeSantis or others and got out much earlier and not went scorched earth. Among, I mean, honestly, there's a 45 percent base across, you know, and just now that is Donald Trump's voters, and you're just basically going to go after them uh, in the way she's going after it. Here's what I think is happening: she truly believes, this is my personal opinion, that Donald Trump will not be the nominee this year. I think she truly believes that something's going to happen in these cases, and she's just going to stay there. And that all of a sudden, when a convention gets thrown into chaos, she would be the nominee because she stayed in it. I think she's sadly mistaken. I think that others who suspended their campaigns would automatically activate their campaigns. I think even other Republicans who didn't run in this cycle would throw their name into the ring if there becomes some kind of a chaos leading up into the convention. I I just don't see the plan here for her, and I think that's the part that most people worry about. Uh, So you look at the Alvin Bragg case about the start. That's Mm -hmm. about the only one that's queued up. It's the only one that's queued up. So, again, her, as you go to, and again, when you look at that case, again, it's one of those cases that it, it, the, 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 basically the legal community laughs at. So, again, for, for Haley's campaign here, again, she has to also come to grips with the fact that she has spent the last month and a half depending on Democrats and independents. 
And so if you look at 2028, your theory, how are you relating yourself to the actual Republican primary voters, of which she's lost anywhere from 65 to 85 percent of, depending on the state that she was in until it was them? Right. Uh, I guess we'll see. I mean, a thing that could trip them up, something physical happened with the president, or you have something legal happen with the president. And some people say after the conviction of one of the cases is the only thing that really moves his polls. But I always go back to this. If someone told you that the, the, something similar to the Access Hollywood tape was going to come out in October before an election, yeah. and you say well, the, that candidate would have to beat it and win against one of the most well-known names in the country, you go, no, Brian, I don't know what class you think you're taking, but there's yeah. no way that candidate wins. Yeah. So if you tell me there's a conviction in these document cases or the Georgia case, uh, please tell me something that his supporters don't know. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's become so known in this process. That's why Jack Smith's fighting so hard to try and get his trials now because he don't. But let's also go back to something that's not talked about a lot. Donald Trump in 2016 was a phenomenon in a campaign that was, by their own admission, was just one thrown together as, as best they could, and they won. 2020, with everything going on in the country, it was a different. But I've had other campaigns and other folks say this is the best political machine Donald Trump has ever had running for president with uh, Susie Wiles, uh, Chris Lasavita, those others. They, and on the ground in Iowa, they outmanned every other candidate in New Hampshire. They outmanned. This is coming from other campaigns who sit there and say, we've not seen this kind of political yeah. organization. So I, I think agree. it's good. And I think this president is ready to do the job once yes. he gets it almost right so. away. So, a couple of things. In this case, it's coming up today. We're going to see this afternoon. Why should people care? Well, this uh, Fannie Willis mm-hmm. is somebody who's bringing a prosecution against a sitting president for the first time mm-hmm. in history. And it turns out she can no longer say ever that the White House doesn't play a role when it turns out her boyfriend, Nathan Wade, invoiced for a meeting in Athens <laughs> uh, for two separate meetings with White House counsel. Yep. And we know that for a fact. And we, she did not deny that she's been in consultation with Jack Smith when asked. So after an hour and 20 minutes behind closed doors, the business partner of Nathan Wade, the lead prosecutor, who does mostly car accidents and wills, uh, was the boyfriend of Fannie Willis, Terry Bradley. They just say, the judge after an hour and 20 minutes says, no, no, immunity doesn't apply here. Even though you're the business partner of Nathan Wade and his divorce attorney, you have to testify. At which time he's going to be asked directly, uh, Congressman Collins, when did this relationship start? What about these text messages that show that you were outraged about some of the spending and the credit cards you were using? So why is that important? It's very important because it really at this point now goes into the case of you. There is a real probability in this case that you had not only a district attorney, but the lead prosecutor lie to the court. And if they have lied to the court and the court sees that they have lied, that's not just kicking off this case. That is disbarment for them. And also this Nathan, the Bradley, the, the law You already part. have the girlfriend, the yeah. best friend of Fannie Willis saying the relationship started in 2019. So yeah. we just assume it's her her word against Fannie Willis's. Well, this changes things. Yeah, well, Fannie Willis actually in her testimony actually said that one person's testimony can prove a truth. Okay, your former best friend right. said – she, again, she came to the, te- to, to the stand mad, worst place. Uh, I've never met her. I have know of her. I mean, I've had friends who know her. She ran a whole different campaign to win this campaign, by the way. She reached out to Republicans when she was running in uh, 2020 uh, because the, the DA, Paul John, before her, the DA before her was just absolutely corrupt, it, problematic. She was reaching out to everyone, and then she just made this turn when she got there. It, again th- – all of this needs to go through the courts. The judge, I will say this, that a lot of lawyers that I talked to could not believe the judge allowed her to do what she did on that witness stand. They, they say anywhere else besides Fulton County, 
this would have not even been a uh, – th- they would have not let her go off like she did. So Trump's attorney said, um, we did some research, hmm? and it turns out the relationship that wasn't taking place, there was uh, <laughs> thousands. In 2021, there was 11,000 uh, – there was 10,000 text messages and 11,000 locations of her right together. The only reason for the being in the area is that they're geolocated. Yeah. And 10,000 text messages. What kind of relationship is this? Uh, They don't tell me they didn't take place. They're battling to get it into court. What would be the argument that keeps this information from the judge? I think the argument. From the case. What Willis and him are arguing was you can't prove this. It's so speculative. It just shows the general area. The problem that they have. It's one judge decision. Yeah, it is. And, and, well, I go back to another thing. This judge actually has now been shown, which I don't understand how McBurney and them could not, who is the chief judge in Fulton County, could allow this. Uh, this judge actually gave to Fonnie Wilson's campaign. He actually gave $150. Now, again, $150, I'm not going to go there. About Why would he do that? But, well, because before he, he wants was, the judge. Before his, he also used to work in the DA's office with Fonnie Willis. Okay, I, this is, a, again, he's actually handled this case very well so far, at least from the perception, except how he allowed Fonnie to go off on everything. So I think what they're going to try and do is say, look, there's too speculative. This is, you know, last minute. You shouldn't do it. But remember, Sadow actually asked Nathan Wade on the stand. So if we had cell phone records or if there was records of this showing you in the area of her apartment, it would be false. He said, yep, that would be false. That was a setup for what he knew or thought he was going to have to do impeachment with. So if, uh, if they say, uh, you know, Miss Willis, this doesn't work for you, Nathan Wade, you should not be on this case. Right. What happens then? The case is 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 going to be all but virtually dead for this year. Why? Oh, for because this year. This year. Now, could they bring it back? Here, here goes this: What happens? Somebody's going to have. They're going to have to. The the case. You do have other prosecuting. They attorneys. do. The DAs would have to then excuse themselves. You know, she would have to get off the case again. Here's the bigger problem, though. And let me just say this: Yeah, they'll have to give it to another prosecutor or go to the prosecuting co- attorney's counsel or even governor or whatever. But that's not going to happen. The bigger issue is if there's a time in which this judge says in the next, you know, whatever time frame, that they cannot be on this case, they have a bigger problem than just the case. And I want to emphasize that. Because they have 17 people, yeah. right? 18 people. Yeah, well, it's a bigger problem for them personally. Because, look, if, if they're kicked off the case, then the judge has found that they have done something improper, that they have done something that has prejudiced this case and prejudiced what they said before. So here's the big shocker that's going to come up. If they he, they get kicked off the case, there's a legitimate possibility, again, have to look at all the evidence, that Nathan Wade and, and Fonnie Willis could be in a position where they'll never practice law again. All right. I, I, I actually, I couldn't care less about them. Just how it relates to the president. Well, the president and this, because so now they'd have to find someone else to do it. They would then have to get spun up on the case. They would have to agree with every legal theory that Fonnie Willis and them it's a complicated have case. It's Everyone a very says complicated it. case. It's a RICO case with 17, 18 people, including the sitting president. Well, and also it goes on the basic determination that Donald Trump did not believe he lost the election, which means getting into the head of Donald Trump and then had all these other people right. do this for well, him. That's it's just a quality, very complicated case. But that's case. the quality of the case. Is there any way it goes away? Yes. I think there could be a, a, a way Who would decide away. that? I think they just get because they can't even they can't prosecute it further. I think the case would just fall. What about those people that it signed deals? You know, it signed. Uh, yeah, I, you know, they they admitted guilt. Yeah, well, they'd have to go back before the Jenna, court. Uh, yeah, they have to go before the court and try and undo those deals. I guess. I mean, that's that that presents a really interesting legal question there. The other thing I found interesting, just because when I come back, I wanted to uh, talk about what happened with Georgia and this uh, illegal immigrant killing. Yes, this great woman, this young college student, Jeb Bush. Um, wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, at which time he talked about the danger of prosecuting uh, Elon Musk and Donald Trump mm-hmm. on pure political basis over the business and, and making their business pay the price. 
He says, every American has a right to be critical of President Trump's politics. One of us ran against him in 2016, he was co-authored this, and must public persona. But equality before the law is precious. And these rulings represent a crisis not only for the soundness of our courts, but for the business environment that has allowed for the U.S. to prosper. If these rulings stand, the damage could cascade through the economy, creating fear of arbitrary enforcement against entrepreneurs who seek public office or raise their voices for citizens in a way that politicians dislike. Yep. Jeb Bush. Yep. He's dead on. Look, if, if it wasn't true, if this case in, in New York, when Eric, the judge up here in this, this, this case, Letitia James, if it wasn't true that others would be scared, you'd never hear Kathy Hochul talk about it. You'd never hear the others who had to come in and say, don't worry, don't worry. But it also leads the, prosecu- the defense to say, I have a perfect case for selective prosecution. You've never brought this case before. You've never brought these charges before. And now you're telling everybody, don't worry about your records. I'm not going to come for you. It's a selective prosecution case. A couple more minutes with Congressman Collins. You can do it on that number today? Yes. All right, and then you'll 12. see him at, at noon Eastern time on Fox News Channel. Don't move. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The case seems to be unraveling for Willis and Wade. Uh, In their testimony, there was a great deal of contradiction, uh, particularly for Mr. Wade. Some of his earlier sworn statements uh, appear to be irreconcilable with with the facts that he later testified to. That's a nice way of saying that people believe he may have lied. So uh, obviously that that's where the case is going to kick off today. About in the afternoon, we'll see what happens. Congressman Collins, a few more minutes. Yep. Uh, let's talk about uh, what happened with the murder of that uh, that nursing student over at the University of Georgia. Like, you know the area. You, t- you said your two two sons went there. I, mean, I went to the University of Georgia. I used to represent half of Athens Clark County, which is the University of Georgia. Um, again, last night I came in. I was telling you this all there. I came in and I saw the president here in New York City, trying up traffic, carrying up everything else. But then going to get an ice cream and just bla- and just casually talking about his trip to the border this week, and and, I, and eating ice cream. And I said that is that right there is the most offensive thing I've seen in so long for this young lady who was brutally murdered. This was just a man who decided to kill her. Let's let's not be. This wasn't a sexual attack from what everything's been. He just saw her, killed her, and this was somebody who came from Argent, uh, from Venezuela, who came through on multiple occasions, could have been stopped here in New York and other places. And the Biden administration and sanctuary cities led directly to the death of Lakin in Athens. This is going to be one of those things. I think that they may have been planning the go to the border. They may be planning some stuff before the State of the Union. But this is the kind of thing in Georgia, in particular, that now you have a face to the immigration problem, which was already problematic in Georgia. And when you get to the president, his race and presidential race in Georgia, there are going to be Democrats who look at this, and this is going to be a real issue. Eric Erickson came out, yep. I know you know well, I know and said that might have just given Georgia to Trump. Not that that matters compared to a life. Yeah. But that's how oh. much, because you know how strong easily. Trump is on the board. Easily, easily. So you think Georgia is in, the, is in President Trump's column? I think right now it is, yes. I mean, Biden has not shown any inclination of, of winning I, and, and I still hear it a lot. Is it going to be close? And yes, is, I think Georgia will still be relatively close in this kind of a national with President Trump and President Biden. But I think it's going to be it's Donald Trump's right now. And I think they hit these messages he hit in 2016. They'll win Georgia. Congressman Doug Collins, you'll see him on outnumbered shortly. Lawyer, congressman, experienced guy. Thanks so much, Congressman. Great Always to see good you. to be with you, bro. All right, uh, Brian Kilmeade, Joe. Back in a moment. Don't move.
radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I was planning to go Thursday. What I didn't know is uh, my good friend apparently is gone. You did know. And if you didn't know, your staff knew. Because your President Trump had planned to go to the border to Eagle Pass, I think, for a couple of months now. I think Sean Hannity is going to join him there. And now you have a situation where the president of the United States is going to go to Brownsville, Texas, where right now there's huge wall problems, but there's not a huge influx of illegals, about 150 a day, which is nothing compared to the rest of the border. Uh, Joining us now is Congress, uh, excuse me, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, welcome back. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. Senator, I just can't believe that we're watching the president of the United States have ice cream again as if that's cute. And then make things uh, comments like, oh, yeah, there might be a peace agreement in the Middle East uh, by next Monday and um, going to the border. No big deal. Just there was a murder over in there was a murder over in Georgia. It's it's okay. I'm just going to keep having ice cream. Doesn't he understand the optics of having ice cream with a late night host when when things when he never makes them available for other interviews and how bad that looks? You know, Brian, what we have is an administration that is not a serious administration. That is one of the things that bothers the American people. They look at what is happening with inflation, the price of groceries, 21 percent increase, fuel and home heating, 32 percent increase. They look at what is happening at the border and how that affects their communities with crime in the communities. And then they realize open border is the policy of this administration. And the other things, they really don't take that seriously. The people of America are not in a flippant mood. And Joe Biden is in a flippant mood. But, Senator, do you have staff? I know you have very staff that are loyal to you. But let's say you do something like that. Is there anybody around you that would say, uh, hey, Senator, can't be doing like, this is serious stuff. It doesn't look good. You, you know, in a casual setting like this, um, do you do you have people that can speak to you like that, even though you're in charge? And if so, uh, where do you think the presidents are? You know, I don't know where his are. My staff and I debate and discuss all day, every day. It's a good thing to get the point and the counterpoint. That's how you get to wise decisions. And it is a way that we learn. And one of the things that has so harmed this country is that we no longer have robust, respectful, bipartisan debate. You don't see that in a lot of places. And it this president doesn't have people around him that are the check and balance. They're afraid of him. Yes, I think they are afraid of him, and they're afraid of what he's going to do to them. So with uh, did you ever think in your life that we'd be talking about the border wall? Fifty three percent of the whole country is for it. I mean, that is up substantially from 2017. It was around 35 percent. Now we have a situation where 71 percent of the country disapprove of the way you're handling the border. And with Democrats and Republicans now, illegal immigration is one, one or two in almost every state. Man, have things changed. 
You're right about that. And the issue of immigration, the numbers that are coming across, the impact of fentanyl in our communities, the amount of drugs coming into the country, the fact that local law enforcement will tell you the cartels are active on U.S. soil. And people are going, why won't he do something about this? And people want to see a border security effort. They want to see border security legislation. Brian, they don't want immigration reform right now. They want to stop this flood of illegal aliens that are coming into the country that are committing crime. They're seeing this on national news and they're seeing it on local news. And as they see the gangs coming into their communities when they have never had gangs, when they see these gangs out trying to recruit kids to come and be a part of the gang, when they've never had that presence, they're going, hey, wait a minute, you've got to do something about this, and this is the federal government's responsibility. I want you to hear now how things have changed. And I told you, how, this is the question my mom had put out. How serious a problem do you think the issue of illegal immigration is for the U.S.? Uh, in in um, September of 2015, 45%. September of 2017, 43%. Right? I think it's serious. Now it's at to 61% for the entire country. So right. 6 in 10 people see it like we see it and have all along. Now... Sanctuary cities. Remember when the president sued to get rid of it? He got rejected by the courts. Now listen to Mayor Eric Adams yesterday. Cut it. Cut eight. Those small numbers that are committing crimes, we need to modify the uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city, and you should be you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Wow. Right that- now. We don't have the authority to do so. So that's a little bit different. Uh, Here he is on the sanctuary city laws in the past. Cut 11. I think that should be presented to to the city council. And here's the only area of the law uh, that I think uh, should be examined. And I made it clear. You repeatedly commit felonies, dangerous crimes. If you're found guilty, you should not be in our city. That's what I believe. ICE can execute warrants. ICE can have a role here. You know, they can, uh, no one is stopping ICE from doing their job. They have a job to do when you deal with uh, dangerous people such right. as such as that. And he opened up by saying, I should not have a job. We're a sanctuary city. And we're proud of it. So incrementally, he's gotten there. Well, that's right. But when you look at the, the murder of Lake and Riley in Georgia and the fact that that illegal alien came across At El Paso in 2022, he had endangered a child and was arrested in 23, and he was let go before they could do a detainer and ICE could get him, and then he ends up in Georgia. See, that is an example of what happens when you have a sanctuary city that will not turn these criminals over to ICE. Or let ICE do their own investigation and they head them off and they tell the NYPD what you have in your midst. They might not know. To tell you how hard it's going to be to convince people. They don't want to cover the fact that this Venezuelan was here illegally. They don't want to cover the fact that he was arrested by the NYPD but not detained. They don't want to cover the fact that he said, I have a sham marriage in order to get in. That's what his former wife said. Listen to Katie Porter. This is a, this is a Democrat. Cut 13. 
Well, I think when a horrible tragedy like, like this happens, I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. These are the knuckleheads we're dealing with. That, to think well, this is a one-off. Yeah, that's right. See, it is not. This is what is happening in communities every single day. There are violent acts. There are crimes. There are carjackings. Uh, there are burglaries that are taking place. And you find out that it is someone in the country illegally. In Tennessee, we have some angel parents. Their children were killed by people that were in the country illegally. And we have too many angel parents in this country. This is why people are saying secure the border. You look at the amount of fentanyl deaths. One pill can kill you. And kids are getting it. Fentanyl is the number one killer of Americans ages 18 to 45. And people know this. Brian, they're seeing it in their communities. And then you look at the number of people that have been apprehended at the border claiming asylum. You look at the numbers of parolees that Joe Biden has let go 1.2 million people paroled into this country when most presidents would do maybe 150,000 in a year, maybe not even that many. And his parole numbers, granting parole, they're through the roof. And the American people are going, hey, what about us? And right. then you hear these stories and you see some of this reporting where they're buying hotels in order to put illegal immigrants into these hotels. It's amazing, and Senator. And our veterans and are sleeping on the street. Senator, I only got 30 seconds left, but real quick. The president says you guys had a chance for bipartisan legislation and you blew it. It shows it's just as a political move for you guys. What's your answer to that? Uh, what he needs to realize is the American people want a border security bill, not an immigration reform bill. These are different things. Joe Biden took 94 executive actions in his first 100 days that opened the border, weakened immigration law, and made it easier to illegally enter this country. Senator Marsha Blackburn, thanks so much. Best of luck. Always, uh, always at work. Meanwhile, when we come back, I'm going to be able to sneak in some phone calls at the back end. But I have Varney and company straight ahead. We'll do a simulcast in FBN. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, The Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. I'm still waiting on Stuart Varney to go directly to me, but he'll be coming back shortly. But talking about a lot of the same things. Sometimes Stuart's got some topics we're not really discussing, but are always interesting because he's on FBN, as you know. He's got the top-rated show there, Lower Larry Kudlow. But uh, this time it's right on the money, and we're just talking about things that matter nationally. You know, they always say this thing that all politics is local. Now it seems that all local, local politics is national, and almost everything is national. I'm talking about things happening in New York City. It's really happening in the country. So let's listen in. 
Uh, just got a couple of seconds to go, and he will appear miraculously on the screen next to me. Here we go in three, two, one. Put him on the screen. There is Brian Kilmeade raring to go. All right, Brian. New York's mayor, Eric Adams, calling to modify the sanctuary city law. Watch this. Those small numbers that are committing crimes, we need to modify the, uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. It is a right to live in this city, and you should be, you should be not committing crimes in our city for doing so. Brian, I know that that change has not happened yet. But when it does happen, if it does happen, that is a complete reversal, allowing ICE to go in, get somebody, and deport them. That's a reversal. Sue, let's just think big picture for a second. For the longest time, we heard you build a wall. Oh, Donald Trump wants to build a wall. What are we? Is he a Viking? Are we living in the ancient Chinese world where you build a wall? And now, all of a sudden, 53% of the country go, yeah, I think we need a wall built. And then when the president said, former president said, we got to get rid of sanctuary cities, they go, you don't have a heart. Bring your huddled masses. Now, wait a second. Now we're looking at in Chicago, people rising up saying, we want to vote on sanctuary city status. We don't like it. African-Americans especially. And now in New York City, you have an African-American uh, mayor pushing his left-wing city council and his left-wing governor to do something because he has no choice. Right. We're talking about the 42nd Street being a shooting gallery. We're talking about a 15-year-old get caught shoplifting, whips out a gun and starts shooting people. We're talking about Venezuelans beating up on two cops and then running to another, uh, another state. And then we have a guy driving on his, with his kid without a helmet on a moped doesn't get detained, even though he does not know paperwork, and that is a crime. He ends up in Georgia. He kills this woman, and it turns out he just wanted to kill him. And the kid guy's got a record. We don't know what he was doing in Venezuela. And now they're saying we've got to get the right to deport him. Do you know if you have a green card? You live this. If you have a yes. green card and you get a DWI, one day you drink too yep. much, you get pulled over. You're out. Yep. You're out of the yep. country. But now yep. you could go shoot a cop or beat up a cop, and you're out on bail? And it's even a well, consideration? But the bottom line, Brian, is that the times are changing. Yes. We've reached a pivotal point in immigration, and things are beginning to reverse. There's a sea change going on here. I'm hopeful. But that's hmm? not enough. I want the ICE to be able to get guys ahead of us and say, hey, you know that guy in prison cell four? You think he's a bad guy? He's even worse than yep. you thought. That's ICE doing everything possible. That's when they're allowed in the prisons to go tell, do massive background checks on these people, allowed to go from city to city. Now they're not even told. When these gangsters come in with their neck tattoos well, and their and their moped uh, grabbing uh, guys who are look, frankly, women I, into I, polls, I think it's, I think it's too late. I, I just think this, I welcome these changes if and when they happen, but it's too late. We've got sanctuary cities and states all over the country. They keep pouring across the border. The cost of keeping them goes up and up and up. And now we've got this this outrageous crime spree all over the place. It's too late. The damage has been done, and it cannot be reversed. Well, I mean, if President Trump gets elected, you know what they're talking about. They're talking about rounding people up massively. Yes, they And are. shipping them out. And some people in the beginning said, oh, my goodness, don't tell them that plan. I talked to a lot of people go, yeah, I'm with you. I can tell you exactly the ones that are a problem. We, everyone's got a big heart. But you went through the immigration system. I, I have Canadians who try to get in here. The money they got to spend, the hoops they got to clear. We could yeah. easily get a background check. The ones that go to college here, they stay too long. They get some parts of our immigration system are strict, way too strict, and other parts are so abused, it is maddening. But it's now a national issue, not a niche issue. 
The only way to change the immigration situation in the United States is to change the president of the United States and get somebody in he who has a completely this. different policy. He and ran on this in 20. He was talking yeah. about this in 22,000. And he yeah. ran on this. He executed this. And when the people were not doing their job, they got fired. He it was did. going through Homeland Security secretaries. He was demanding his secretary of state go into Ecuador, over to Guatemala, to Mexico, and said, you're getting tariffs, you're losing your aid, unless you crack down on your own border. Really? Okay. Nobody, n- nobody gets fired from the Biden administration. I haven't seen one yet, frankly. Right. No, not that not I even the secretary of defense it goes to the hospital doesn't tell anybody. <laughs> right. There's nothing to see here. Move along, please. Brian Kilmeade, you are all right. Thanks very much. We'll see you again real soon, Brian. All right, stay lot, within man. yourself. Right. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. All right. one 866 It's just maddening. One thing we did not get to, so I want to read to it to before, is, um, and I sent this to Donald Trump's people, and he should really acknowledge this. Jeb Bush and John Lonsdale uh, wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed, at which time they called out this ridiculous attorney general in New York and this judge that fined Donald Trump $450 million. Others, this administration's going after Elon Musk. They're trying to find little things that he has done that they find unethical, and they're trying to sue him and stop him. This guy, who is the Thomas Edison of our time, as controversial as you want, he is uh, somebody that's been invaluable to the American growth of the economy, a visionary that comes along once in a generation and a half, a guy that wants to bring in underground tunnel network to relieve traffic, puts implants in brains to get people who are paralyzed the ability to walk, comes up with an electric car. You may love it or not, but Tesla leading the charge, and actually China probably stole a lot of the technology. You know what he's done with SpaceX, technology, and satellites, and now they're trying to stop him because he bought uh, Twitter and exposed it to be the political organ that it ended up being. And now they're going after him, and Jeb Bush writes this. Every time in America, every American has a right to be critical of President Trump. One of us ran against him, our Musk, poor Mr. Musk personal persona. But equality before the law is precious, and those rulings represent a crisis not only for the soundness of our courts, but for the business environment. Essentially saying this, if you are a Republican and you want to go into business or take out a loan, and you want to, you're in a bank and you've got to lend to a Republican to build buildings, skyscrapers, a field or a stadium, everyone's going to think twice because they think, I don't need the scrutiny. I don't need a bank. I'm a bank. I don't want to be involved in controversy. I'm not going to lend to him or her because I think they're a Republican. we got a Democrat in the White House or vice versa. One should have nothing to do with the other. And that was his point. And such a good point that he put his rivalry aside to talk about his concern. And I appreciate that. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, thanks so much for being here. We've got a busy hour coming your way. Uh, we're going to be dealing with Julian Epstein in, in just a moment. He serves as Chief White House Counsel of the House Judiciary Committee and Staff Director of the House Oversight Committee for Democrats for five years, and Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick. He's done some great work, bipartisan work. People hate that word, I don't, uh, to try to get some defense of our border, change our asylum rules, get back where we in Mexico, and fund the Ukraine war, which we have to do. I, I'm just stunned how many Republicans don't realize the importance of giving them the weapons they need to be successful while replenishing our own stocks. That is important. I don't know if people remember World War II uh, and also helping out Israel, too. 
Uh, we'll talk about that. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The case seems to be unraveling for Willis and Wade. Uh, in their testimony, there was a great deal of contradiction, uh, particularly for Mr. Wade. Some of his earlier sworn statements uh, appear to be irreconcilable with, with the facts that he later testified to. That is uh, Jonathan Turley talking about the Georgia case. Guess what? Uh, Letitia, now, not only we're we talking about Letitia James in New York showing that she is all politics and helping the president there, but now we're seeing the, the falling apart of the Fonnie Willis and her ridiculous boyfriend, Nathan Wade, who focuses on car wrecks and wills, being the lead prosecutor against the former president of the United States. They lied on the stand. It'll be proven this afternoon. Make sure you watch. Number two. Those small numbers that are committing crimes... We need to modify the, uh, the sanctuary city law that if you commit a felony, a violent act, we should be able to turn you over to ICE and have you deported. Joe Biden has done the impossible. He has now made the border wall popular. In fact, the majority of the country want it for the first time since Donald Trump started talking about it. We all seem in the crosshairs of the criminals that Joe Biden's policies have allowed to come into our country as more and more Americans are shot, assaulted and killed by these illegals. It is now the number one issue in the country. Number one. By voting uncommitted, you get to, you know, cancel Joe Biden. I guess, like, if you vote uncommitted, they'll realize how much of an impact we're making. I was extremely excited that this was kind of a chance to bring down Biden. Michigan today, it's Michigan Day, the primary day. Winner of the state in November is likely to be our next president. And so far, Trump is leading. Joe Biden's getting his comeuppance. He's getting slapped around by his own party for supporting Israel. And ignoring the growing problem among Arab Americans, Palestinians, and Muslims. Plus, Nikki Haley fights on with verbal weapons hijacked from Chris Christie, Liz Cheney, and the DNC. I ask you why. Uh, let's bring in Julian Epstein. Uh, Julian, welcome back. Brian, uh, thanks for having me back. I always enjoy being with you. Julian, uh, I, I, the president has to support Israel, no doubt about it. But now he seems to be pulling back from it. Uh, a lot of it says he thinks that the... Benjamin Netanyahu has gone too far. He's been over the top, was the quote. Yesterday, he said this while it's licking ice cream in New York City. Cut one. I've been planning to go Thursday. What I didn't know is uh, my good friend apparently is gone. Uh, there, he's talking about the border. A little bit later, he says a, a peace agreement uh, is about a week away, or a truce is about a week away. Your thoughts about what the president's facing in Michigan now? Well, um, I think the protests that are going on with the mostly Arab community, I, I think, will be re probably regarded as a paper tiger. Uh, I don't think they're going to be that successful. Um, but what worries me, Brian, uh, I, I don't think they're going to be that successful in terms of um, a major uh, uh show of non-committed in the primary vote today. Um, but what worries me, Brian, is the uh, speaking out of both sides of the mouth that we're starting to see with the Biden administration. Remember, just for your viewers' benefit, I voted for Joe Biden in 2020, although I think his presidency has been uh, a huge, huge disappointment. Um, what we've seen is Joe Biden was fantastic after the attack on October 7th, particularly the speech on the Tuesday following the October 7th, he said, I stand with Israel, um, and this is a fight of good versus evil. This is a fight of civilized society versus, you know, a 7th century jihad Islamist movement that 
has global intentions. And he was he was great about that. And then what we've seen is sort of speaking out of the both sides of the mouth after this uh, misreported attack on the hospital, where it was claimed that Israel had attacked a hospital when in fact it was Palestinian rockets that misfired and hit a hospital. Uh, and actually, the number of deaths were far fewer than reported in places. He like turned on him right times. away. He turned on him right away. He had Arab leaders to the White House, and he issued an apology. An apology. He said, "I'll do better." Um, he said the other night uh, when he flubbed on the uh, on her report, referring to Jordan, uh, the, king, the, the king of Jordan, as the president of Mexico. Um, uh, he uh, claimed that Israel had been over the top. Yep. He's talking about a ceasefire. I mean, Brian, this is a fight against. Uh, Nazi fascism that we're dealing with with Hamas. There should be no moral confusion about it. And Hamas doesn't want peace with Israel. They want peace without Israel. Uh, and every time the White House and the left is saying, well, we need a ceasefire or Israel has been too aggressive, uh, there have been too many civilian deaths. None of us want any civilian deaths, of course. Um, nobody is forced to answer the fundamental question, which is, what is your solution for purging Hamas out of Gaza? And they're hiding and, behind civilians, and they're in the tunnels where they're forced, they're not allowed to evacuate by gunpoint, and they cannot finish the job without going into Rafah. I'm all for getting a safety valve to get these people out, whether it's Egypt giving in or providing a corridor while screening people. And I'm for that. But you cannot fit. If you don't finish the job, Julian Epstein, we're going to be right back here in 18 months with a more horrific crime this time. Um, Well, not only not only are they hiding behind civilians, but what the Israeli military has found as they've gone into Gaza is that. Most mosques, most schools, most hospitals, and a majority of the homes, according to some reports, are either used as munitions bunkers or have underground tunnels underneath them for the Hamas fascist military operation. That doesn't seem to resonate. I want everyone to hear the president yesterday. Cut 16. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start? Well, I hope by the, the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. By next Monday, have a ceasefire. With an ice cream cone in his hand, a casual conversation shouted at him from a distance with something that important. I talked to Benjamin and you that morning. He knew, I asked him, is it true the contours of the deal are done? He goes, I've not heard anything. And then Hamas, one hour ago, just came out with, I don't know where this came from. We haven't had an update in a week. So he had no business saying something that both sides have no idea about. I don't get it. I just don't get it. And I think, you know, as a as as just a sort of a strategic, a strategic matter and a moral matter, yeah. unless you have a solution that purges Hamas from Gaza and that puts in place either an international police force, perhaps with the Egyptians and Jordanians, who don't want anything to do with the Palestinians, uh, clearly don't, and haven't for the last 50 years, unless um, you have some kind of international police force uh, uh, that can demilitarize the situation in Gaza going forward, 
I don't understand what that ceasefire um, uh, peace process looks like. I mean, every time Israel has given away land, every time Israel has returned land either on the West Bank or in Gaza, it has been used by the Palestinian leadership as a launching pad for military operations against civilians, genocidal military operations against civilians. So until the Palestinian leadership can step up and say, right. we want peace with Israel, not peace without Israel, um, I don't see a viable solution at hand. All right, so let's talk court cases. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to have uh, we're going to have Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade. Uh, their their situation is going to be front and center. Nathan Wade, the lead prosecutor, uh, boyfriend of Fannie Willis at one point. It seems as though there's uh, there's a dichotomy of facts. Uh, her friend said the relationship started in 2019. She says it started and ended uh, before an, uh, before any type of uh, deal was given to Nathan Wade. That any time they went away together, she paid cash. And now we find out that the business partner uh, of the law firm, as well as the lawyer for his divorce, is going to be forced to testify front and center. If he comes out and says that relationship was going on and he got the job while they were dating, as what does that do to this court case if they are kicked off the case? Well, I think what that suggests, if that's if that report is true, Brian, that suggests perjury uh, by both. Uh, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade. Um, and uh, if any of that is true, I think then they, they are disqualified from the case and, and then it goes to a different district attorney. Uh, they'll have to evaluate whether this case... In a different district? Should be in a, it most likely in a different district because under the recusal laws, it, 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 the, the reasonable interpretation of the recusal laws is that the entire office should be disqualified. It's not necessarily the reading of it, but it's the better reading of how recusal should work. I, look, I think this case is dead. I don't think this case is going to proceed. And the reason for it is that there is a – under ethics laws, it's not just whether there is a conflict of interest. It's whether there is an appearance of a conflict of interest. And it certainly looks – to most people, including myself, that Fannie Willis had a financial interest in this case proceeding um, by using taxpayer funds over the tune of half a million dollars to her paramour, directing half a million, over half a million to her paramour, uh, who had who has no experience prosecuting felonies, to take on what is an excessively uh, complicated case and a case that I think is riddled with problems. You know, the one question that I think the defense uh, uh, counsel was remiss in not asking Fannie Willis was if she knew that the ethics rules required that she reimburse Nathan Wade for the cost of their various different amorous trips and outings. Then she had to realize that there was an ethics reason that she had to reimburse. Um, and if she knew that there was an ethics reason for doing that, then she would document that. In other words, if you're doing something to cover your butt on an ethics matter, um, everybody knows, and especially any attorney knows, that the first thing you do is you document um, the fact that you are following the ethics requirements. And the fact that she claims that she reimbursed Nathan Wade for all of these various trips that they took, but then made no record of it, it's just not believable to me. Of course. So uh, I, yeah, I think but, I, I, 
Let me ask you something, I, I think this case is gone. I think this case is gone. Um, I had problems with – I had problems on the law uh, and the facts and as to how they brought this case. I think the cases in New York are just outrageous examples of lawfare. Um that I think will come back and boomerang right. against Democrats. So you know how much Jeb Bush and Donald Trump don't like each other, right? He, he penned a, a Wall Street Journal op-ed talking about the civil case that ruled against him by $450 million. And he right out says, one of, uh, he said, uh, as well as Elon Musk, have also been targeted by this White House. He goes, equality before the law is precious, and these rulings represent a crisis not only for the soundness of the courts, but for the business environment that has allowed the U.S. to prosper. If these rulings stand, the damage could cascade through the economy, creating a fear of arbitrary enforcement against entrepreneurs who seek public office or raise their voices as citizens in a way that politicians dislike. So if a Republican wants to go to a bank in a Democratic city and the Democratic, the bank goes, wait a second, I don't need the scrutiny. You know, if I lend money to you, I'm going to end up in court. I, I don't know, I'm not going to deal with that or have a criteria that's going to be over the top. And he sees the danger in this. We know Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank sees it. And you just mentioned you see it. And do you know the Attorney 100%. General Letitia James on X every day is keeping a tally of how much money and in interest that Donald Trump owes as he now officially files for appeal? How do you know how, how bad that looks? Look, I, I wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal. I, I read Jeb's piece, and I thought it was great. Um, I wrote a piece last April for the Wall Street Journal saying that these cases were awful, uh, civil and, and, and criminal prosecutions, for one reason, which is if Donald Trump's last name was something other than Trump, they would not never have brought any of these cases. In the case of the New York state civil case brought by Letitia James. It's a 1956 law. It's been used maybe less than a dozen times in 70 years. In every case it's been used, defended, uh, the, uh, vic- there were always victims that had significant financial losses. There were no financial losses in this case. Letitia James campaigned uh, for office on going after Trump, saying she would. Yeah, of uh, course. She would. She would. I mean, this is Joseph Stalin. This is, you know, right. show me, show me the man. I'll find you the crime. This is exactly what that is, and this is this is lawfare. This is using the legal system to go after your political opponents because you can't use a regular political process. And Julian, you know, you uh, sound like you sound like, like Bill Moore. You know, you're definitely a, d- a Democrat. You're probably liberal. Uh, not that that matters, but you just know right and wrong. This has nothing to do with it. There's stuff going on in this country right now that goes so beyond party. It's making people try to sober up and understand that this is getting totally out of control. Uh, And we have an election coming up. Uh, Julian Epstein, thanks so much. Brian, thanks for having me. Happy to come on anytime. I really enjoy our chats. All right. Same here. By the way, April 27th, Henderson, Nevada. I want to see you there. It's going to be Brian Kilmeade on stage. I bet me. I'm a lot of fun. VIP opportunities. It's going to be life, liberty, as well as laughs. And we're going to have some fun. Also talk about on what made America great, winning the war on history. Hope to see everybody there. Go to BrianKillMe.com, get tickets, and I'll meet you right outside Las Vegas. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Yeah, I've got a couple more minutes. We come back. I'm going to get into detail about Brian Fitzpatrick. He's got a bipartisan bill out to uh, crack down at the border, get back, remain in Mexico, do other things in terms of asylum, at the same time get somebody to Ukraine so they don't lose to Russia as well as Israel. And uh, and he wants to do it quickly. It's going to be H.R. 7372. Uh, it's going to talk about the border, Defending Democracies Act. And he might have a way to bypass the speaker, who we know fundamentally agrees with getting Ukraine aid, but also wants to crack down on the border. I understand both things can happen, but they need to happen quickly. And right now they don't even have a funding bill to fund the government, let alone to get money for two wars, which are in America's interest. So that's what we're looking at right now. So I'm going to talk to Brian Fitzpatrick about that. Uh, That's coming up soon. Also, we're seeing currently that all four leaders, Hakeem Jeffries, the Speaker of the House, as well as uh, Schumer and McConnell, all went to the White House to meet with the president about somehow funding the government. Is there a compromise there? Another continuing resolution. Ryan Kilmeade, we'll keep you up to date with all the breaking news because you were kind enough to stay with us again. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start? Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Well, that's nice. Uh, The president kindly brings that up and makes uh, international news. Problem is, Hamas says we haven't heard anything in two weeks. I asked Prime Minister Netanyahu about the contours of a deal that evidently agreed on. He says, I haven't heard anything like that. He goes, right now, the last proposal I have is delusional. They're delusional. So for the president, a few hours late, literally a few hours later, in the same city I'm in, of New York City, he says, and obviously he's, he's got information, but I don't know. I talked to the prime minister in the break before the interview, too, and he, he didn't know anything about it, even though getting the hostages back, he says, is number one. And then number one B is wiping out Hamas, a man who always in the eye of the storm, especially when it comes to funding on Ukraine and getting an answer on our border. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, uh, he's on Intel Ways and Means Committee, chairman of the subcommittee on national intelligence, part of the problem solvers. Congressman Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, welcome back. Good morning. Hey, were you surprised the president kind of blurted that out uh, while eating ice cream? Yeah, I mean, a a flipping comment on a very, very sensitive uh, subject. I mean, imagine if you're the family members of these hostages and you hear something like that, you get your hopes up, Um, you know, very irresponsible. Um, I I was with um, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, just last week, um, Brian, got to spend about an hour with him one-on-one. And, um, you know, they they have the job to do. They know what they need to do, um, you know, particularly in Rafa to, to clear out. Um, you know, four of the remaining six Hamas brigades, there were 24 total. They're down to, it's, they've taken out sufficiently 18. They got six left, four of the six remaining are in Rafa. As you know, Rafa, normally a, a city of 200,000 now is about 1.5 million. All the uh, refugees have fled there. It's the, cro- the only uh, city that crosses into Egypt. Egypt has the door closed, so it's a problem for them um, as far as how they're going to go about prosecuting this. But they need to protect their country. Um, you know, just like after 9-11, Brian, we didn't want other, other countries telling us how we needed to protect ourselves. Uh, he, he feels the same way right now about Israel. 
So Sinwar, evidently the leader of Hamas, is there. Uh, but he's hiding among the hostages, maybe in the tunnels. Yep. There's no way you end this conflict without going into Rafah. There's no way you do it. There's no way. And, and this is what Hamas does. They use human shields, you know, similar to what bin Laden do, uh, did the, the night that he was killed. This is what they do. Um, and the, the good guys can't, you know, expect to just stand down. Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu and the entire uh, uh, Knesset feel strongly that they're not going to let their residents go back into that border town until they can, you know, verify that it's safe. And it's not safe when, you know, six brigades of Hamas remain uh, right along that strip there. So, uh, Congressman, you've been working hard. You saw the uh, the compromise deal on the on the Senate side fall apart. Senator Langford, um, <coughs> Senator Murphy, and Senator Cinema, and the President of the United States not jumping on that, saying Republicans aren't serious. So, you took action. What roughly is your proposal with the Defending Borders, Defending Democracy Act? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it pairs everything down. I mean, the, the death knell of every anything that's touched immigration in our lifetime, Brian, has always been uh, they, they went too broad and, and somebody found a poison pill in it and it fell apart. That's been the, the fate of every single immigration bill. So we narrow it down to, to two issues. These two policy changes, they don't cost a dime, by the way. Uh, every single Border Patrol agent, um, CBP officer, Coast Guard officer that we've talked to on every visit says that if you can uh, re-implement Title 42 without the public health requirement, which is expulsion authority, and also reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy, which deals with asylum seekers that requires them to remain in the country, the safest country that they can get to, if that's not their own, then the neighboring one, um, prior to their claims being adjudicated. Uh, just this past week, uh, Lake and Riley lost her life uh, to someone we believe is from Venezuela, who in all likelihood crossed the, the El Paso sector sometime a little over a year ago. Uh, and just in the past seven days, Brian, 200 American families had to, had to bury their child due to uh, a fentanyl overdose. That's 200 on average a week. That's like the equivalent of a Boeing 747 aircraft, you know, crashing every single week in this country. Um, it's all inextricably linked back to our poor southern border. So what we are trying to do here is in order to sustain the message that we have about defending borders, including our own, including Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. We support democracies. Uh, borders are, sy- are synonymous with democracy and democracy synonymous with freedom. So if we're going to be able to tell our voters, our constituents, that we need to sustain the fight right. um, overseas, we have to defend our own borders as well. We can't be hypocrites about it. So it's about $47.7 billion to defend Ukraine, $10.4 billion to support uh, the defense of Israel. Um, I'm not sure if you have any money for... Taiwan already paid their money and are waiting on F-16s and a whole bunch of, right. of hardware and military equipment. I'm not sure what the problem is still. And when most of this money would be spent, 80% of it would be spent in our borders buying stuff from ourselves, and then we'll replace it, correct? That's the uh, great untold fact here, uh, Brian, is 80% of the, of the military, the DOD titles of these bills, 80% of it is spent inside of our country modernizing our own military. So much of what we're sending, uh, in this case to Ukraine, is things that are not obsolete, but they're certainly not state-of-the-art. They're things that we needed to upgrade anyway. We're exporting that. It's, it's certainly keeping Ukraine in the fight, and it's allowing us to modernize uh, our own military so that we're prepared, um, right. you know, should China move on Taiwan. So this is an economic driver. It's, it's requiring us to, to, to rethink and relook at our own industrial base here uh, as far as the military uh, equipment goes. 
um, and we're helping Ukraine, who's not asking for a single American or NATO boot on the ground. All they want is weapons to make this a fair fight. All right, so Congressman, what uh, what do you have to do to get this looked at? Because you're also trying to fund the government. I understand you have 10 of 12 appropriation bills done in the House, still got to get it reconciled with the Senate, and they got to show what these are and debate them out, I guess. So where does this line up? When do you, when do you think you're, this is going to get its vote? Well, it's either going to hitch a ride on, on a CR, and the four corners are in the White House as we speak, um, hopefully hashing this out. Um, if that does not happen, Brian, um, we have filed uh, what essentially is a discharge petition, and we've done so in a way we work with a parliamentarian that will expedite the process. Normally, it requires 30 legislative days. We got it down to seven, which would make uh, our bill, which is bipartisan, by the way, um, right for consideration uh, first week in March. So this is sort of a, an off-ramp for Speaker Johnson. As you know, people are threatening him. You know, if he brings certain bills to the floor that contain certain items, Ukraine being one of them, um, we can, you know, bring this to the floor through the discharge process, which happens automatically, you know, once we get 218 signatures uh, on it, which I believe we can do. So what's the response been from the speaker? I mean, he understands he understands our sense of urgency. You know, it's more, uh, you know, us understanding the position he's in. You know, this this single person motion to vacate, Brian, by the way, we are never, ever, ever going to agree to that again in any rules package. Uh, we were told that it was never going to be used, that it was a matter of principle. Obviously, that turned out not to be the case. Kevin McCarthy got vacated, which was the gravest injustice I've seen in my you know lifetime uh, in politics. Um, but here we are. And we still have that one motion to vacate, that one person motion to vacate. We got a, another year we got to get through in this cycle. We have time-sensitive existential matters like Ukraine, like our border, like Section 702 of FISA that we have to get done. Um, and we got to figure out a way to do it. So if the way to do it is to make people, you know, the, the moderates, the bad people, you know, forcing this stuff to the floor, so be it. But we cannot let Ukraine fail on our watch. We cannot allow another Lake and Riley situation to happen. And I, for one, do not want to go to another funeral in my district of a young kid um, uh, overdosing on fentanyl. Uh, We have to address this stuff. But having said that, too, you've also been to Ukraine. And why uh, Republicans are not seeing it's in our national interest to fund Ukraine, I have to suspend, if I can use Hillary Clinton's line, suspend disbelief. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I thought we believed in peace through strength, Brian. I thought that they were the contours of, of being a Republican. Um, that was Ronald Reagan's mantra, his, his, his firmly held belief that allowed him to, to bring the Soviet Union down to its knees. And we were such a unified country at that time, Brian, as you know. We, we had a common enemy. It was the Soviet Union. Uh, Ronald Reagan won 49 out of 50 states with that message. When are we ever going to see that again, by the way? Um, and that message has sort of become lost amongst my colleagues, that there is this isolationist view that's crept into our conference that is very naive to world history, particularly World War II history. Um, and, you know, the, the, the isolationists, the, the Neville Chamberlains of the world, history has not treated them well, uh, rightfully so, uh, because it doesn't work. It, it didn't work back then. It doesn't work now. All right. Just lastly on your bill, if you're going to get around the speaker, they say it's a, you have to go to a dispensation and put it to the floor vote? Has Akeem Jeffries, are there Democrats that like your bill besides the one on the Problem Solvers Caucus? Well, we're, we're, it's the only two-party solution in the House. So I can tell you this. Uh, it's equally bipartisan. It's a one-to-one ratio. That's our rule. It's a Noah's Ark rule to get on the bill. Uh, we've had a lot of interest from both parties. I can also report, Brian, uh, I've spoken to, to Democrat and Republican members of the Senate 
all who have assured me that if we have a bipartisan bill that emerges from the House that funds Ukraine, uh, they in all likelihood will take that up and pass it. So um, I will tell you, I'm not going to stop until we get this done. I will use whatever mechanism right. necessary because there is no way in hell that I'm going to allow Ukraine to fail on my watch in Congress. I don't want that to be you know, part of our time here. And um, it's, it's time sensitive, it's, it's existential, and we're committed to getting it done. A couple more things real quick. Is it true that uh, the Russians are already making moves in Moldova? There's a couple of provinces there that are, I guess, Russian-dominated. <clears throat> yep. They're trying to do the same thing they did in Ukraine initially. Uh, they, tried, they tried to do the same thing with Georgia, some breakaway provinces. Yep. Is it true they're starting to move on Moldova? Of course. So obviously that's why they wanted to annex Crimea, and President Obama let him do it, literally just walk in there um, unimpeded. Uh, there's a section of Moldova. It's called Transnistria. Um, same situation. They've annexed the province. And they want to build out from there. This is their M.O. Uh, anybody who thinks that, that Vladimir Putin um, is going to stop a Ukraine uh, doesn't know what they're talking about. He's got a broader strategy. Um, he's, he's been transparent about it. He's telegraphed this punch. He wants to reconstitute the former Soviet Union. We cannot allow these dictators, Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, the Ayatollah, to relitigate World War II. Democracy won over dictatorships in World War II. They're trying to relitigate that. And they're banking on the West and the United States being asleep at the switch. So the other thing, you're in Pennsylvania. It's obviously a battleground state that Donald Trump won in 2016, lost in 2020. What are the significance of the president of the United States uh, putting on ice all new LNG plants and licenses, knowing that you guys are the second biggest natural gas producer in the country? Yeah, it's going to be problematic for him. And he's got he's got different challenges in different states. Obviously, you're, you're going to see what happens in Michigan today with his 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 struggles there. Um, you, you, you you accurately you know portrayed the problem he's going to have in Pennsylvania. And and Brian, no, by the way, nobody begrudges. I mean, I'm certainly a, a supporter of, of, of clean energy. We, we want to all get there, but we can't do it at a point when we, it requires us to rely on communist China. It's absolutely insane. This is this is the problem that Germany, most of Europe, but mainly Germany, ran into when they were, you know, buying up gobbles of Russian oil and gas, uh, and then had to go through the painful extraction process once that conflict began. If, if China were to move on Taiwan, and, and we're we're connected to the hip with with China on, you know, the rare earth minerals and you know the lithium that that's required for these battery productions. It's insane. So LNG is a, is a tremendous resource. It's a relatively clean energy source, and it's an economic driver, and it, at the very least can be used as a bridge to get to, to right. renewables. Well, well absolutely, and, and, the, and the Western Europe needs it, and we stopped. Of course. So why of would course. we not flood them? And we're, we'll be a reliable supplier. They're a great customer. Forever leave Russia <laughs> to go elsewhere, even when this conflict is over. And for you guys to be uh, to do the fracking to get the natural gas, and for him to freeze these things for some environmentalist, to me is insane. You're not talking about coal production, which got his controversies. I get it, of course. But yep. this to me is 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 nonsensical. So I guess we're going to see what, what's going to happen uh, on that, and as well as what's going to happen with the funding you, uh, Ukraine. I know the President Zelensky's on the offensive. Sat down with Brett Baer. Sat down with the. Uh, one of the anchors on CNN. Hopefully people understand this is in our national interest. When you talk to guys like J.D. Vance, I mean, Matt Gates is somebody you just can't deal with. He's just out to be famous. I'm not sure what he's thinking. But guys like J.D. Vance, who you know is intelligent, who fought in the military, like what do they tell you? 
Well, I've never spoken to, to Mr. Vance, but, you know, I, I've spoken to, to people in the House, certainly, um, that have shared this view. And it's just it's hard to explain, Brian. I don't I don't everyone represents their own districts, you know, and I, I try to be respectful and diplomatic with all my colleagues. I just implore them to try to, you know, view this through another angle. Um, you know, this this libertarian uh, uh, bent that's creeped into our conference that I believe is very, very naive to world history. Uh, is dangerous because we live in a very small world. We live in a very dangerous world. Dictators are now on the rise, including, by the way, Brian, in two NATO countries. I mean, we've got to keep our eye on both Turkey and Hungary. Uh, there's no mechanism right. in NATO to remove a country that backslides from democracy to dictatorship. And they could eff effectively neuter Article 5 with their single veto. So these are all things that we have to keep our eye on. But, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that so many, only 11 out of 31 NATO countries have met their 2% GDP threshold says it all. It says that they, they've fallen asleep at the switch. They think that World War II and, and the dictators, gotcha. that, 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 that yeah, they were, they're, they're very real and present right now. I hear you. Uh, Congressman, I'm glad you're doing stuff. You never stop acting. You're always on the move trying to. Uh, trying to do your job. I wish more people had your energy and vision and willing to compromise. Uh, you only have a two or three seat advantage. When are people going to realize that? Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, thanks so much. You bet. Thanks. You got it. HR 7372, Defending the Borders, Defending Democracies Act. It's something for everybody. Take a look at it. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back uh, again. Uh, we have a lot going on today. We're seeing now the big four are going to meet in the White House, not only talking about immigration in Ukraine, but most importantly, funding the government and finding some way out. The president of the United States thinks that if the government shuts down, it's going to look better to Republicans. I think at this point, after the circus that went on with getting rid of Kevin McCarthy, it was terrible. After the things that we've seen before, trying to get a new speaker, which was terrible. And then you see some of the uh, Democrats out on the sideline. Some of the other stuff that has gone on. We're in the election season. I think it's just bad for everybody if you don't fund the government. Mike, listen on WNDB. Thanks, Mike. What's on your mind? Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, Brian, doesn't the ice cream cone ceasefire line sound a lot like I have never once spoken to my son or my brother about their overseas businesses. Yes. I and mean, Brian, aren't they voting in Michigan today? Yes. Does one have to do with the other? Of him saying, yeah, in a week we got a ceasefire going. Meanwhile, we have no proof for that. So, I mean, by the way, what kind of statement is that? If you're going to make the statement, Mike, here's why I don't think there's much to it is because you put the ice cream down, you say, hey, Mr. President, at one point when these cameras come in, step up and ask the question, you know, just make the statement that we're very optimistic on the Middle East. He doesn't know he's getting that question. He has sitting hanging out with Seth Meyers still eating. So I think we're actually, you're actually giving him too much credit. I don't think he was think, thinking through it all. No one knows better than you who talked to Netanyahu. He said he didn't know anything about it. Yeah, even before I asked him, I go, Mr. Prime Minister, what is news? How do we make news today? And he, he let me know. He's like, no, there's nothing going on. So I asked him on camera anyway because I knew he was curious. Hey, remember, I'll be in. Thanks so much, Mike. I'll be in Green Valley Ranch, Grand Event Center, Henderson, Nevada, April 27th. Brian,
This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.